as I introduce this new series uh, to you, we're starting our summer series today, I was reminded of a study called Reveal that was done uh, several years ago, a deep study, that tried to figure out what are the things that cause a person's faith to grow the most. And in the study across hundreds, maybe even, uh, I think a few thousand churches and thousands of Christians, the study revealed that there's one thing that has a greater impact on the growth of a person's faith than any other single element. And here's what it is. It's engagement with the Bible. It is, it is reading the Bible and wrestling with the Bible and trying to understand what does this mean and how can I apply it in my life. Doing that, practicing that, will have a greater impact on your faith, according to this study, than any other thing that you and I could do. So for 10 or 11 years now, if you're, if you're new to Kingwood, uh, we, we take the summer months and we do a book study. Uh, we usually do topical preaching uh, throughout the year, uh, maybe thematic or seasonal. But in the summer, we dig in deep and we grab a book of the Bible and we study it together all summer long. We've done it for 10 or 11 years. So this year, our study is going to be in the book of Hebrews, and we're starting that study today. Uh, and so my encouragement to you is... Um, Go as deep into the book of Hebrews as you can go. It's a complex book. It's going to push us as pastors because it's, um, there's a lot of complexity to it. And we're going to be pushing you as a church to say, let's dig deeper into God's Word. If it's God's Word that makes the biggest difference in our faith, then let's get deeper in it. Okay? Are you with me? So that's what we're going to do this summer, and we encourage you to take the journey with us. Uh, there's 13 chapters. We're going to do 11 weeks. So somewhere around a chapter a week, so you can follow us like that and, uh, and read it, and it'll make a big difference in your life. So Hebrews, um, Hebrews was written, we don't know a lot about the book, but it was written to encourage discouraged Christians. It was written to um, help encourage, challenge, and warn uh, believers who were drifting away not to drift away. And the reason that they shouldn't drift away, kind of the argument of the book is, is because Jesus is better. And so that's how I want you to think about the book uh, this summer. That's why we called it better. Jesus is better. So every chapter in the book of Hebrews basically answers this question. How do I have a more resilient faith? How, how can my faith become stronger and deeper and more, re, and more resilient? And in times of tru trouble, in times of resistance, in times of chaos, in times of hindrance, how can my faith overcome? How can my faith survive it all? That's kind of the question of Hebrews. And so um, when life throws you a challenge, wouldn't it be great to know that your faith is going to make it? Because I got news for you. Life has challenges. I don't know if you figured that out, but it does. And when it does, what does that do to your faith? Well, Hebrews says, have a deeper faith because there are strong forces, huge, strong forces pulling on our faith, trying to pull us away from God. Did you know that Generation Z is the first generation in American history that will grow up not having the majority of the generation as Christians. 
So Generation Z is having a unique experience in American history that none of the rest of us have ever had. As a person who claims to follow Jesus, they will be in the minority of their generation. So we've got to figure out then how do we have a deeper faith and how do we pass that faith on? Some of those other forces are we live in uh, very materialistic times. We live in times of um, uh, people crave fame like no other time that I can remember. And these things pull on our faith. We live in a postmodern world which basically says truth is relative. Your truth, my truth, their truth, 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 another truth, truth. Truth is subjective, and it's defined by the individual. That's what our culture tells us. That undermines our faith. We live in an increasingly pluralistic uh, society, which means we have religions from around the world making their way into the American culture and infiltrating your neighbors and mine. And so that, that pulls at our faith and says, are you sure Jesus is the only way? How sure are you about that? Because this person and this person and this person believe something totally different than you believe, and maybe you don't even know much about it. The education system in America is increasingly hostile to Christianity. Our culture tells us that sexual identity is the highest identity and the most important thing about an individual. And so all these things erode at the foundation of our faith. We live in a hyperactive culture that's always on the go. So how's your faith going to survive travel ball and artificial intelligence and the greatest mental health collapse we've ever seen? Well, Hebrews is relevant because it's spoken to people who live in an environment that is resistant to Jesus. And that's the environment that you and I find ourselves in. So it's an incredibly relevant book. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about. I'm not going to do a lot of background on it, but Hebrews is unique in the New Testament in that it's not a letter. Most New Testament books are actually a letter written to the Corinthian church or the Roman church or one of the other churches. But Hebrews is actually a sermon. And so in the introduction, you don't hear anything like, hey, I so-and-so am writing this letter to the church at whatever, grace and peace be to you. You don't get any of that. It's a sermon. So we have a 13-chapter sermon that we're going to preach for 11 weeks. <laughs> you excited yet? Well, maybe not. But, but I want to encourage you to, to, to dig in because this unique sermon has something incredible to say to each one. Now, look, maybe this is your first Sunday at King when you went, I didn't know we were doing an 11-week sermon or I wouldn't have chosen today. You know, maybe you looked in online and said, oh, man. You know what? Maybe God brought you here today because this is his voice speaking to you and inviting you to come closer to him even though you may feel very far from him. And so I just want to encourage you to think about it that way. If you're new to our church or, or maybe not even sure where you, where you sit in faith today, I want to encourage you to think about it that way. So um, staying with God is better because Jesus is better. That's what the book's going to tell us. And actually, the first three or four verses, which is what I'm going to be sharing today from chapter one, uh, it's actually an introduction to the whole book. And there's 10 subjects. <laughs> That are, that are revealed, that are talked about in about three or four verses 
I'm not going to cover all of them, okay? Like I said, the book's complex, but, but I want to jump in and show you in chapter 1, verse 1, where the book starts, okay? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That's verse 1. You feel like you jump right in the middle of a story, don't you? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. So I'm going to give you two thoughts today. Here's the first one. God is a communicator. That, that's what Hebrews says to us. God is a communicator, and he has spoken, and he has spoken through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, and he's spoken through the prophets, and he's spoken in uh, many different ways. He's spoken into the doubt, into the fear, into the confusion, into the distraction, into the resistance. God has spoken, and he's spoken through prophets, and he's spoken through plagues, and he's spoken through angels, and he's spoken through a pillar of fire at night that guided the children of Israel, and he spoke through one guy's donkey that turned around and talked to the owner. God is a speaker. He's a talker. He's a communicator. He's not hiding in some corner of the universe. So that's the first thing we find from Hebrews right away. That's what the, that's what the writer's trying to establish. Hey, I want you to know something. God is a, is a speaker. He's a communicator. He's a talker. Okay, so God's a, God's a communicator. What has he said in Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 2? Let's look at the first part. But in these last days, so in the past, he spoke through the prophets in various times and various ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So here's the second point and the most important point of the day. God has spoken most powerfully through Jesus. All right? So, so let me say it another way. The, the most important thing that God ever used to speak through was his son Jesus. And the most important thing God has ever said is Jesus. He's never said anything more important. He's never said anything better. He's never said anything bigger. It all hangs right there. So Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the high priest. He's better than Noah's ark. He's better than the parting of the Red Sea. He's better than every other way God has ever spoken or ever will speak. Why? Well, verse 2 and 3 tell us that. And then, and then that's where we'll camp today. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, now, now we're going to get into a bunch of descriptions of his son. You ready? Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now look, that's written like a like a poem. <laughs> I mean, that is beautifully constructed. That's like an artwork. But we struggle to go, that's such high language. What does it mean? I want to break it down for you. There's six descriptions of Jesus in that verse. And what I want to do is just quickly look at each one to show you why Jesus is better. So basically, what the guy it's, or the lady who wrote Hebrews is saying is Jesus is better. Let me tell you why. All right, so let's look at those. Why is Jesus better? whom he appointed heir of all things. So see, here's the thing. Uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and China and America don't own the world. It's not theirs. What he's saying is, whom he appointed heir of all things. 
The world and the created universe is Jesus' inheritance. And he will inherit it and it will belong to him. So he appointed heir of all things. That's why he's better. Here's another reason. He made the universe. So not only will he inherit it, he made it. Not only will he be there at the end, he was there at the beginning. He made the whole thing. This is the person that God spoke through. The one who made it all and the one who will inherit it all. And furthermore, he's the exact representation of his being. I I, uh, talked to a guy a few months ago, and he told me the most interesting story. He has two twin daughters that are about 13, and he said, you know, I didn't even know this was possible technologically. He said, but they have learned to unlock my phone using facial recognition because we look so much alike, the iPhone can't tell the difference. And I think the way he found out is they started getting some stuff from Amazon that nobody ordered because somebody got in daddy's phone, you know what I'm saying? And there was a problem. But if you look right in those girls' face, faces, it's like looking at their dad. Everybody knows what it's like to look in a child's face and go, you look just like your mama, you know, your dad, right? Everybody knows that. This is, this is what this is saying. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is the exact representation of God the Father. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen God's character. You've seen his nature. When we say, God, reveal your character to us, he did. Just look at Jesus. That's where it is. And that's the person that God has spoken through. He's the exact representation. He also, the Bible says, sustains all things by his powerful word. In other words, he created it, he inherited it, and he's going to hold it up until he comes back. He's going to sustain everything by his powerful word. That's the person God spoke through in these last days. And then he provided purification for sins. Do you know there's not one sacrifice anyone has ever made in world history that would forgive a person of their sins until Jesus died? That's what this is talking about. He provided, this is the person that God spoke through. He provided purification for our sins, to wash our sins away. And then here's the last one. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty. You know who the majesty is. That's the Father. So we got this picture of God in heaven sitting on a throne, and there's a chair to his right, and only one person is allowed to sit there, and only one person has ever sat there. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, he ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And what that means is that confirms that everything else we just read about him is true. Because he's the one seated at the right hand of the Father. That is who God has spoken through in these last days. So, what does that mean for us? Well, let me just give you one one application, one thought about it. That kind of blows up our, our if-then ultimatums that we sometimes give to God. You, you, you know what these are. We've all had some version of it in our life. God, if you're real, do this. If you're real, heal my grandmother. If you're real, take this sickness away. 
God, I'll believe that you're real if you'll answer this prayer or remove this suffering or open this door or speak to me this way or provide some kind of solution in my life. If you'll alleviate the suffering, then I'll believe that you're real. You know what God's answer to all of those if-then propositions are? He has one answer. His answer is Jesus. That's his answer. And why is, that a, why is that a good answer? Well, the writer of Hebrews just told us because God has spoken so thoroughly and perfectly and deeply and powerfully through his son Jesus that no other word is needed. Now, that's not a lack of compassion. God has enormous compassion for our suffering. That's a statement of completion. He has spoken so completely through Jesus Christ in these last days, no other word is actually needed. So it's his speaking through Jesus is better than an answer to prayer, it's better than a miracle, and it's better than a solution. It's that complete, it's that total. So God says, what do you mean if I'm real? What do you mean if I'm real? How, how can I not be real after the way that I spoke? So God has already given us the greatest revelation in the history of the world that's possible. Just, just think about it for a minute. He spoke through Jesus who was born in a human body. God was born in a human body. From a virgin, raised as a carpenter, confounded religious leaders, healed the sick, raised the dead, welcomed children, had compassion on those who were suffering, opened blind eyes, never sinned, but was a friend of sinners, walked on water, trained disciples, raised up leaders to plant churches and take the gospel all over the world, endured betrayal, suffered to death, and when he died, the veil in the temple was supernaturally torn from top to bottom. There was an earthquake that shook the world, he, and then rocks split open when he died, and then he came back from the dead, and when he came back from the dead, graves were open in Jerusalem, and godly people from the past rose back from the dead, walked through downtown Jerusalem, and appeared to many people, and if that weren't enough, he appeared to his disciples, and the Bible tells us he appeared to over 500 people. And then he ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, and we say, if you're real. What do you mean, if I'm real? What are you talking about, if I'm real? Can I tell you, healing your grandmother would be no better proof than that right there. Bringing a solution into your life, removing some pain, overcoming, that's not a better revelation than Jesus is. Jesus is the best revelation that we're ever going to get. It's the best one that's possible. And we say God's not real because he didn't do, we make up our own test. And Jesus said, I already passed the best test. God already spoke in the best way he could ever speak. The question is, can we hear? That's the question. So how do we have resilient faith? <laughs> how are you and I going to have a deep enough faith that we can resist the forces that are coming against the Christian faith in our culture today? How are we gonna pass on something to the next generation that will endure? 
How are we going to not be pulled away by the next crisis or the next problem or the next challenge or the next whatever? How are we going to have a resilient faith? Let me just give you three simple ways. Number one, get close to Jesus. <laughs> I'm just telling you, there's no, it's not more complicated than that. Get close to Jesus. If you want to see where the light shines brightest, look at Jesus. You don't have to worry about any new teaching or new, new thing or new conference or new prophet or new revelation or new nothing. The best thing God can ever say, he's already said. Get close to Jesus. You know the people that I know who drifted away from God? Do you know how it happened? There came a day when they stopped listening to Jesus and they started listening to someone else. That's what happens. It looks complicated, it sounds complicated, it's constructed in all kind of different conversations and arguments and volumes of books and podcasts and everything else on the earth. But when you boil it down to its simplest form, here it is, they stopped listening to Jesus and they started listening to somebody else. My sheep, Know my voice, and they will not, they will not follow another. Right? My sheep know my voice. That's what happens. So here's the great thing about Jesus there's no spin, there's no double speak, he never lies, he has no hidden agenda, he is the exact representation of the Father. You don't have to worry about, you know, what's really going on back there. So how do we then, let's, let's put it down to where we live sometimes though, okay? Because that's up here and that's good and that pulls us up here. But what about where we live? What do you do when you feel like God's absent? Because that's, that's where a lot of us live. We all live there sometimes. What do you do when you feel the absence of God? I'm not saying he left you. I'm saying it feels like he left you. What do you do? I, I feel like I have some experience with that. As my, as my wife continued to get sick, and, and, my, and I began to look around me, and everything I tried to hold in my hands, I was losing. I was losing everything. And I would go to God in prayer, and I'd say, God... You know, I had very specific prayers. Lord, I want you to heal her, and I want you to do this, and, and I'm asking you to do that, and I'm taking this scripture, and I'm going to show you it so you'll remember. <laughs> you know, remember this? Remember that time you said that? And what about this and, and this parable about prayer? I mean, that's how I'm going to try to pray. And, and I would pray, and I would pray, and I would pray, and I wouldn't see anything change. And then the day came when my prayers started to become a lot more general and a lot less specific. And I said, God, I don't even know what to ask you to do anymore. Just, this is my literal prayer that I prayed to God on many occasions. Just do something. I don't even care what it is anymore. Just do something. 
Let me see you do something. Let me know that you care. Let me know that you're still here. Give me a sign. Give me something. And as weeks turned into months, I saw nothing and I heard nothing. And, I, and nothing changed. It just got worse. So what do you do? It felt like God left me. So what do you do? What do you do when it feels like God leaves you? Here's what you do. <laughs> when you feel like God left you, you have to double down on your trust in his word. You have to trust his word more than you trust what you see. You have to trust his word more than you trust what you feel. You have to trust his word more than you can trust your own reason. Because we have a God who is a communicator, and in the last days, he has spoken through his son. So you have to grab his word and hold on as life shakes you to death. And you have to say, God, it makes no sense, and I see nothing, and I hear nothing, and I feel nothing, but I'm going to hold on. And let me just tell you this. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Never done anything harder than that. So I'm not making this. Hey, by the way, following Jesus isn't easy. We need to go ahead and, if we're going to have resilient faith, we got to stop telling people this is simple and it's easy. It's not simple and it's not easy. But it is good and it is right and it is better. Because that's what the word says, right? But it's not easy. So here's, here's what I had to learn. You... Will through the Bible, he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. What does that mean? God, I don't see, I don't feel. I start to rationalize and process other things and other types of thinking. What does that mean? Well, it means what it says. He will never leave you. He's never left you. Regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you experience, regardless of how long you pray and how much it doesn't seem like that he's answered your prayers the way you think that he should, it doesn't mean that he's ever left you. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, and he has never left you, and he never will leave you, because we have a God who is a communicator, and he has spoken, and he has spoken through his son Jesus to us, and he has said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. So what are some things that you can do if you're experiencing this sense, this absence of Jesus in your life? I'll give you a quick little list here. When you can't sense Jesus in your life, go, doing something, go do something Jesus did. Like, what are the kind of things that Jesus put his hands to when he was on the earth? Find that kind of activity. He was, um, he was not, uh, he did not come to the earth to be served, but he came to be a servant. So find somebody to serve, right? And you can go through the New Testament and find, what are the things that Jesus did? Find, do something Jesus did. Read something Jesus said. Look, if all else fails, open the Bible to the red letters, and read something Jesus said. And that'll bring you closer to him. Find something Jesus made. Can I tell you what uh, Hebrews says? That he, he created all things. So when you go outside and you see a river or a creek, 
or you see the birds fly through the air, or you look at a mountain or a sunset or a sunrise, or you see the tide come in and out, or you look at this incredible tree that's 300 years old and you see the flowers and the grass and you see the incredible harmonious ecosystem that God has created at the beginning of time and said, it is good. Well, Jesus made that. Go find something Jesus made and look at it and touch it and think about it and say, Jesus, you made this. You put your hand to this and you made it. And then remember something Jesus has done. Maybe, there's, maybe you can't find Jesus today, but maybe there was a moment in your life where you go, I know that I know that I know that there's no explanation for this thing that happened in my life other than Jesus was in the middle of it. Go back to that moment and start to thank him for what he did. <laughs> or if that's not far enough, go back to the New Testament. And look at the things that you know is in writing that Jesus has done. And start to thank him. Walk yourself through the life of Jesus and start to thank him for all the things that he's done. What I'm trying to say to you is get close to Jesus. Get close to Jesus. Number two, apply Jesus' word. Let me tell you what the Bible says about the Bible, okay? And about Jesus. Look at John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now look at verse 14. And it says, the Word became flesh. Who's that? Jesus. And, and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the living Word incarnate. Jesus is God's word, right? And that word has been revealed to us through the Bible. So if you're going to be close to Jesus, you're going to have to be close to his word. And we said it at the beginning of the message this morning. How do you do that? You get, get the scripture and, and, and you have to get on some kind of reading plan where you read the Bible. And it might, it, look, you don't, it's not a race, okay? You don't have to try to inhale 18 books at one time, the whole New Testament, you know, until you pass out. Because let's be honest, there are parts of the Bible that are very hard to understand. And the reason they're hard to understand is because they weren't originally written in English, and they weren't written in our culture, and they weren't written in our time. Thousands of years ago in three different languages and a whole different time and a whole different culture. So you don't just walk in and just read 18 books. But... That word is the revelation of Jesus, and it is a living and active word, which actually Hebrews says later in a few chapters, it's a living and active word. It's not a dead book. It's not a book written by a human author. This is a book written by, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a different book. And so you get into that book, and you get some kind of reading plan where you read maybe a few verses a day. But when you read it, you stop and you say, what does that mean? What does that really say? And how could I do it? And I'm telling you, you want to get close to Jesus, man, you can get close to Jesus like that. Wrestle with his revealed word in your life. And look, you're going to laugh at this, but maybe you say, I don't know where to find a Bible plan. I can tell you exactly, and you'll never forget this. Bible.com. It's an incredible study app that has tons and tons of Bible studies and resources and all kind of stuff. And you can get on a plan that'll actually send you a notification every day and remind you to read the Bible. 
right? So you can do it. You can do it, but you have to take a step. You have to take a step to do it. And by the way, and you go, oh man, it's not easy, and I'm busy, and all this. Yes, it's not easy. Following Jesus is not easy. That's my disclaimer for the summer. Following Jesus is not easy, but it is better. So you can either keep doing what you're doing, or you can do what's better. Like that's the challenge. I'm saying this book's going to push us, but it's going to push. We're going to push you through it. It's not easy. Like taking up your cross and dying to yourself and becoming a disciple is not easy. But it's so much better. Number three, get close to Jesus' people. Here, here's the other thing. If, if, you, if, you, if you're going to live this better life, if you're going to have a resilient faith, you have to get close to Jesus, get close to Jesus' word, get close to Jesus' people. So do you know what the church in the New Testament is called? It's called the body of Christ. In other words, the body of Christ when Jesus was on earth was Jesus. <laughs> but when Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to spread out over all believers on the, world, on the earth, the body of Christ transferred from one individual who was the Messiah, God's son, and transferred over onto all believers everywhere. So we are, we are actually the body of Christ. We, we are the Jesus the world sees. We are the Jesus that's walking the world. Now, I'm not, and you're not, but we are. Because you and I can't be everything that we need to be by ourselves. I know that's a Western philosophy that individualism rules, but not in Christianity, not in the New Testament, not in your faith. You'll, I've never known a person that comes to maturity in Christ by themselves. Because you're part of the body. I'm part of the body. I need you and you need me. And, and we need each other. And by the way, that's the reason that uh, in our church we have uh, life groups. Like, the, like the, the number one reason we spend time trying to uh, train and raise up life group leaders and having life groups is so that you can find... In this group, you don't... This, is, this could be like a pile of strangers online. You could be separated in your home right now watching this, disconnected. But you, you, you're not going to walk close to Jesus without walking close to his people. I, I guarantee you 100%, 100%, I could point out to you the most mature Christians in this church, and I guarantee you all of them have one thing in common. They have a few things in common, but one of them would be this. They're deeply connected to other Christians. They walk with other Christians. You know why? Because who encourages you? Who do you ask spiritual questions to when you have a question? Where do you, where do you gain wisdom from? If you needed prayer today, do you have someone you know other than your parents? And if you do have them that do that, that's a gift. <laughs> but do you have someone in your life that you could call and say, hey, I, I need prayer. That's what, the, that's what the body of Christ is. Like, if we, don't, if we don't lean in on each other and get close to Jesus through each other, what's going to happen is, is the forces that I described are going to keep pulling us away from Jesus because we have no glue holding us in to the family. And so we, we've got to have that, we've got to have that glue 
Paul the Apostle was the greatest apostle in the New Testament. And at the end of his life, he wrote a letter to his apprentice, Timothy. And Timothy um, was his number one apprentice, okay? He's his number one guy he was training to be a leader in the church, and Timothy was a, a great leader. But when Paul wrote his last letter to his number one men, uh, apprentice, the last chapter in that letter, Paul said something so amazing that challenges me that I, I want to read to you today. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Look at this. I've kept the faith. If the greatest apostle who ever lived considered it victory to keep the faith, then I can tell you this. It's victory for you and I to keep the faith. Doesn't mean you never have doubt. Doesn't mean you never have questions. Doesn't mean that everything goes great. It just means at the end of it all, <laughs> when the final bell rings, you'll be able to say, I kept the faith. I don't know the answer to every question. I hear atheists ask questions I don't know the answer to. I don't know everything. But I know this, I kept the faith. I know this, I believe Jesus is better. He has a better inheritance. He has a better way and he has a better plan. And there's a better heaven and a better earth waiting for me when I leave this planet. So I'm going to follow him and I'm going to keep the faith. And actually that's what Paul said. He said, there's in store for me a crown of righteousness. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus is better. If you're online, our uh, prayer team is, is present with you today. They've been praying for you throughout the day, and they'd love to pray with you now. So if you have a prayer need of some kind, maybe a unspoken, you just want to put a prayer request there. Or I need prayer. It could be there. It's that simple. That team wants to pray for you and minister to you. And um, we're about to sing a song that has been on my playlist for about three or four weeks. And it just says this, Jesus at the center of it all. Just the middle. Not the peripheral. Not the edge. Not after I get done with everything else. But God at the center. You know why? Because he's better. He's better than any other pursuit you'll ever pursue your whole life. And so would you just pray that with me this morning? Lord, today as we sing this song, we lift our hearts and our voices to you. And we declare, would you just, would you just declare, Jesus, you're better. God, you're better. So I give you the center. <laughs> the center of my life the center of my day, the center of my family, the center of my dreams, the center of my desires and hopes. And Lord, I put you right in the middle of my fears <laughs> because you're better. So Lord, we lift you up this morning.